0: Welcome to Drude Podcast. We appreciate you being here. Appreciate you supporting the people who support us. Uh, check it out. Don't forget to check our streaming show out Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at three o'clock live Pacific time. we uh been interviewing a lot of the people that have been silenced during this pandemic and what ideas they have and why they were silenced. And learn a lot every time I talk to one of these guys. I learn something more. And uh, don't forget the After Dark. We appreciate the, uh, you guys showing up there as well today. Let me get the part- well. I'm going to have my guest tell me some of his particulars. It's Philip Avadia. He has a new book. Uh, can we put the book up by any chance? Um, all right. Doctor Avadia is a board certified cardiac surgeon. He's founder of Avadia Heart Health. His mission is to optimize the public's metabolic health, and he is uh, now doing that really full time. And he has a new book. Tell us about the book.
1: Sure thing. Great to be here with you, Drew. So stay off my operating table. Uh and I think the title says it all. I've really been on a mission over the past few years uh that has been increasing in the focus to keep people off my operating table to help them understand what really is making us sick and what we can do about it.
0: Yeah. And and I'm guessing the you know, we valvular heart disease sort of happens when people get old and their valves can deteriorate a little bit. We're really talking about primarily coronary disease, correct?
1: Yeah, we are talking primarily about, you know, atherosclerotic heart disease, coronary disease, blockages that build up in people's arteries. Um, Although, you know, this probably applies to valvular heart disease as well. Uh, We really know less about why valves wear out over time. You know, there are some obvious things like congenital abnormalities that people are born with. Uh, There are infections that infect valves. Uh, But otherwise, you know, we're not quite sure why some people's valves wear out over time and other people's don't. And the more and more I learn about metabolic health, which is basically the influence of what we eat and what we do on our health, uh, the more and more I recognize how it really affects everything in our bodies. And when it comes to the heart, you know, it's clear that that affects buildup in the arteries of our heart. And I think it also may play a very real role in valvular heart disease as well.
0: I, I'm interested in how you got here. Uh, you, know, it's, it's makes, you know, it's not a, a reach for an endocrinologist or a lipid specialist to, to go down this path, but chest surgeons are surgeons. They're about fixing things and doing the, using their operating exactly. skills. To, to, they like doing that, but uh, you took a turn into metabolic health. How did that happen to you?
1: Well, you know, it really started with my own health journey. Um, I was a very unhealthy heart surgeon. I was morbidly obese. I was pre diabetic. And I realized I was going to end up on my own operating table, so to speak. I had the family history. I had all of the risk factors. And I was following the advice that, you know, I was educated to give people. Same stuff you learned, you know, eat less, move more, eat a low-fat diet. Uh, and take your medications, and it wasn't working for me, and it wasn't working for my patients. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I went on my own journey to improve my health. I, you know, came across different information, low-carb diets, uh, you know, and everything that sort of comes with it. And, you know, I was able to improve my health. I've lost over 100 pounds. I've maintained that weight loss now for going on eight years, uh, and I'm in the best shape of my life. Uh, But, Coming across this inf- different information led me down some different pathways as to what is actually causing heart disease and why so many people were ending up on my operating table. And ultimately, what I came to realize is that for the vast majority of people who end up on my operating table, they didn't need to be there. If they were given the right advice, if they received the right guidance, if our food environment was different than it is, most of the people wouldn't end up on my operating table. And ultimately I realized that, you know, that is a bigger mission to serve uh, than, you know, the work that I do as a heart surgeon.
0: Are are you finding it hard? I, I, have got a million directions. I want to go with this. So we'll just start going. Um, Are you finding it hard to get people to comply? I, you know, it, it, Patients come in sort of different varieties and the average person, let's just take a- asking them to take a pill twice a day. Most of them can't do that. They can take a pill once a day. No way they could do a pill three times a day. That's just like not going to happen. So major change in your dietary habits. It's a tall order for some people. Have you run into resistance with that? And what kind of what kind of strategies do you use?
1: Yeah, you know, ultimately I find that people do comply with this because it works and because it makes them feel better. Uh, Now, of course, not everyone is going to, you have to be interested in your health to start with. But once someone comes to me and they say, I want to get healthy. uh, The advice that I give is, you know, I think very easy to put into action. Uh, I try not to overcomplicate it. And, Once people start doing it and they notice how much better they feel, that becomes, you know, that reinforces itself. The other part of it that I think is important is when you present people with the options and Mm. the options basically come down to this. You can spend the last half of your life on an ever increasing number of medications you're still going to get sick, you're still going to feel miserable, and you know you're still going to spend a significant portion towards the end of your life not being able to do the things that you want to do and instead, you can just change what you eat and avoid all that. Most people get that uh most people say, yeah, sign me up for the diet you know for the different way of eating uh rather than the lifetime of medications that still ends pretty miserably. Shall we do a little primer
0: on lipid metabolism so we can sort of have a starting point?
1: Sure thing. I think it's a, a key part of all of this. And it's a lot of the reason that we're, we are where we are in terms of our health, because we have been so focused on lipids.
0: And, and so, but the, I I, I feel like I mean, you wouldn't have to do this, but I, well, okay. We've turned over all the cards. Uh, I'm also uh, a carbohydrate. Uh, I'm on a carbohydrate restricted diet, and it's made a massive difference for me. And it, I came to it yep. late in life. My my um, family history is terrible vascular disease. And I always assumed it was saturated fats or somewhere in that zone and maybe some genetic thing. So I got on a statin very, very early because I wanted nothing to do with that. Um, still had great difficulty controlling my blood pressure and my weight and all these things until I got on a low carbohydrate diet. And I, my, my looking at the sort of the landscape of lipid metabolism, I, I wonder, well, I'm convinced that some people are especially benefited from, from low carbohydrate diet. And I suspect it's people with a certain apoe 4 profile and that sort of the apolipoprotein profile and sort of the, the phenotype of metabolic syndrome hypertensive, hypercholesterolemic, central obesity. What do you think about my little theory?
1: Yeah, so definitely people with the metabolic syndrome, with metabolic disease, and, you know, many ways we can look at that. But, you know, if you have the metabolic syndrome, it means that your body is not processing carbohydrates properly. Uh, And so, yeah, those people are going to have great benefits from adopting low carbohydrate diets. What I would uh, maybe extend that by saying that most people are going to end up with the metabolic syndrome because we know the statistics. You know, is as that a function of, the,
0: of how our diets are? The modern so-called American diet is that what's causing it?
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah it certainly is. Uh, huh. But we know that you know, eighty-eight percent of the adults in the United States uh, are not in optimal metabolic health. So we're and all headed sure. down that pathway.
0: That's for sure. I and- just, I just know that people like me are really. There's a, there's a, there's a distinct difference between when I'm consuming carbohydrates and, and, I, and I'm not. And I'll just tell you that, in particular, just from an easy sort of uh, laboratory profile uh, uh, example of my own personal journey, uh, I could never get my HDLs up. I could never get my triglycerides down, even if I was fasting three quarters of the day. I just couldn't do it. Cut carbs. Boom, HDL flew up. Triglycerides went from 225—I mean, hardened 225 to 75.
1: Yeah, and you know, I had a similar uh, my—you know—I had a similar experience. My numbers uh, probably looked pretty similar to yours. High triglyceride, low HDL, uh, and went on a low carb diet and was able to reverse that. And you know, ultimately that is our marker of health. You know, it's interesting when you look at the historical studies, when you go back to before statins were introduced and you look at the literature around risk factors for heart disease, um, you know, insulin resistance, high triglycerides, low HDL. That's it, man. These these were the focus. Um, And, uh, you know, we got away from that. We got distracted uh, by LDL cholesterol really when we had a medication that lowered ldl cholesterol mm-hmm. and that became the focus and that has led us down a pathway uh that has not been good our well, health has gotten worse I, I, Well, point. for
0: sure our health is not better we're talking about the ldlc physiology and i i feel yeah. like we've done something with it but we've 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 i, I don't know i feel like we're you know we're um, I have this image of us uh, bailing out the boat with a coffee can or something. We're just, it's not, not enough. Yeah, We have some other big things
1: we can do too. You know, what has really happened is the technology has allowed us to keep people with heart disease alive longer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's really what you see. You know, yeah. we have, better ways of dealing with heart disease, we can diagnose it earlier, you know, um, you know, it used to be that 50% of heart attacks were fate, first heart attacks were fatal, you know, that's now down to like 20% or something like that. So we are definitely better at keeping people alive longer with heart disease. Mm -hmm. But we are much more, you know, people are getting heart disease, and it's occurring younger and younger. Mm. One of the scariest trends, that I have seen as a heart surgeon. You know, I I graduated medical school in 1998. I finished my training in 2005. So, you know, 20 years now of seeing heart surgery patients. And there has been a very noticeable shift in the age of the patients. When I was training, you know, we operated on 70 and 80 year olds, and we occasionally had a 50 year old. Mm-hmm. Today, I routinely operate on 40 year olds. Jeez. And it's not that unusual that I'm seeing 30 year olds ending up on my operating table. Uh, so that is a very scary trend that we need to pay attention to.
0: And and I, I, vigorous exercise to, to me seems like an important piece as well. And I don't want to leave that out. We're gonna be talking primarily about diet today. But um, particularly when it, not so much heart disease, I suspect, but um, aging related things, a- aging generally is benefited from vigorous exercise.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think that exercise is a very important component to this. Um, I think that building and maintaining muscle really needs to yep. be our priority yep. because yep. Th- that's where we see the benefit with aging. That um, data
0: is so clear. Now there've been some studies the last yep. couple of months, even they were like, Oh boy. It's like
1: your, your muscle mass determines your success in aging, period. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly it. So, you know, I do caution people who are taking sort of the cardio only approach, the chronic cardio approach, and they're very lean, uh, but they have no muscle. And a lot of those people are metabolically unhealthy. And I see those people ending up with heart disease. I see them ending up on my operating table and, you know, they are perhaps the most you know confused about why this happened
0: yeah Um, there's also some and i've seen this clinically a little bit it's not a big deal and it shows up in the literature once in a while their immune function may not be great and they may be at risk for certain cancers because of that
1: yep yep yeah all of that certainly plays a role in this Pick up that glass of Pinot Grigio or your drink of choice and come have some fun with us on Turtle Time. We're going to do more than just drink and party on this podcast, Mom. I know, I know. Okay, if you don't know who I am, well, I'm Ramona Singer, and that's my daughter, Avery. And you probably know us best from The Real Housewives of New York.
0: And now you'll get to know us even better on our podcast,
1: Turtle Time. Let's make more iconic moments together every Wednesday. It's Turtle Time.
0: Follow, rate, and review now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom, just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh, I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. You know, the other thing that I think I've come to learn, and maybe this goes back to your question about how a heart surgeon ended up in the metabolic health space... Yeah. Is you realize that you know how metabolic health touches everything. It's not just heart disease. You know that's what led me to metabolic health. But then you know once you're paying attention to your metabolic health, you realize that set you know eight of the top ten causes of death every year in the U.S. are related to metabolic health, uh, and these are things like Alzheimer's disease and diabetes and many forms of cancer and chronic kidney disease. Mm. And even, you know, we now know the strong connection between mental health and metabolic health.
0: Oh, for sure. Uh,
1: So, yeah. So, you know, that's what's um, really uh, impressive, I would say, about the metabolic health focus. Because if your focus is on lowering cholesterol, maybe you're having a little impact on heart disease, you know, and and cardiovascular disease in general, yeah uh, but you're not helping any of those other problems, and in fact, you might be making some of those other problems worse
0: right that's what we always worry about, whether it's using medication or otherwise so let's let's talk about the book and what, what you learn, why we need to read the book
1: yeah, sure thing, so you know three sections in the book, and in the first section, I tried to outline the kind of how we got here problem. I talk about some of the myths. Uh, that we have been led to believe. Go ahead and go ahead and
0: flesh some of that out as you talked about the three parts, because it's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. So, you know, one of the big ones I talk about is, you know, that cholesterol is at the root cause of heart disease. And that myth has led us down some pathways that, you know, again, may have made things worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we look at low fat diets, which came out of the concept came out of the hypothesis that heart disease, that, you know, cholesterol was the cause of heart disease, uh, and low fat diet has clearly worsened our health. Mm. Uh, so that's a big myth that, you know, people need to, And, and, uh, and the uh, saturated fats too. Exactly. Parable. Exactly. Yep. Uh, and I talk about, you know, kind of the myth of the, the, the food pyramid. Um, and you know, I talk about the myth that um the healthcare system is designed to keep you healthy. Uh it you know, the healthcare system has evolved to a point uh that it's there to take care of you when you get sick. That's it's it, really not there.
0: And, and it's yep. interesting as you're as you're reviewing some of these things, I'm thinking to myself, oh, these really outlying stupid things are all government bureaucratic uh, myths that they that they are unable to change because bureaucracies don't change and don't move and don't change position, and and the government has no business in health. They just they, don't, they really are just the worst at anything pertaining to health. It's exactly the wrong people to look to look for.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, we see that you know repeated over and over. Um, and like you said, you know the more they seem to get involved, the worse the problem gets yeah. for everyone involved. Yeah, patients, the providers, all of us, uh, I think would be uh, happier if we had less government involvement. All right. So those are the myths. That's part one. Part two. Yeah. So uh, part two, you know, kind of talks about what is metabolic health, how you assess it. Uh, And, you know, this is a real important concept. I think people should understand. I advocate for people to pay attention to five basic measures of metabolic health. Uh, And they're pretty simple. You know, two of them you can check at home, your waist circumference and your blood pressure. Uh, And the other three are some real basic lab work that everyone should have done, I think, on at least an annual basis. And this is your fasting blood glucose level, your HDL cholesterol, and your triglycerides, what we were talking about before. Isn't that uh, funny? Uh,
0: yeah. So, and those five measures. Now, yeah. If, yeah. If you, you can put a couple more, I've seen other ones start to show up on these lists too now. And I'm just yeah. going to ask you to comment on them. CRP, any utility from that? Yeah, I think
1: I think CRP is a very important metric to be tracking. It's basically going to show you inflammation in your body. And inflammation is one of the things that happens when we are not in good metabolic health and it specifically can damage your blood vessels. So it's very important uh, marker of heart disease risk.
0: Some of the endocrine profiles are hard to quantitate in terms of what a normal value is for a particular individual, but do you do anything in that zone? Insulin, sugar, you know, sugar challenges, anything of that sort?
1: Yeah. So certainly your fasting insulin level, I think is a good place to start. Uh, Because, again, what we know is your fasting insulin level will be elevated for probably a decade or so before your blood sugar gets elevated and you get diagnosed with diabetes. So I think insulin can be a very powerful early indicator of problems. And if you get your insulin level checked and it's elevated, uh, that's a major red flag that something's going on there. The more advanced metrics of insulin you know, and uh, glucose sensitivity can be useful as well, uh, but most of the time, I find they're not needed, because if you just look at an insulin level, you look at an HDL you know, triglyceride to-HDL ratio, uh, you look at a couple of other basic metrics, you're going to be able to figure out whether or not that person is metabolically healthy.
0: Do you, do you get, given, I'm imagining most of the people you have have some degree of ill health in, in their metabolic state, do you use these initial assessments in terms of determining how aggressive to be, or are they simply markers that you follow?
1: Um, so I think they're both, you know, like we kind of talked about earlier, the more metabolically unhealthy you are, uh, the less you can tolerate carbohydrates basically so it kind of shows us where you need to be on that spectrum you know do you need to be the absolute very low carb you know carnivore type diet or or, you know do you just need to cut your carbs you know under 100 grams a day Uh, i think the lab work can can help inform us of that they're definitely markers of progress uh so you know are is what we're doing working or not and um You know, I I think that we don't monitor these things enough. You know, I I think once a year. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, Uh, You're right.
0: Have I seen uh, ferritin show up on the list too now sometimes? Is that something you got? Uh,
1: You know, I think ferritin can be uh, another sort of adjunctive marker. I put that in, you know, maybe the second or or, or third level uh, as you're getting deeper and deeper into this stuff. Mm. You know, again, ferritin is going to reflect. Inflammation, mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways, I see it reflecting metabolic health. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I, it's not it, it's not one of the ones that I put at the top of my list that everyone needs to have. Uh, but as I'm getting into it with my patients, uh, it's oftentimes something I check.
0: We're still on chap. We're still in segment two here. Correct. Uh, uh, and, yeah. and one of the things I sometimes think about. Diet and metabolic health is that if I could just get somebody to be a conscious eater, I'm seventy percent of the way where I need to be. Because people, once they become literally aware of what they're putting in, they kind of adjust sort of automatically. It's it's this weird like we are unconscious eaters. We're just like eating machines or something, and uh, we've been we've been primed with these special. You know, goodies and yummies and all kinds of and images that come on the TV that that just play on the uh, on the neural mechanisms, the taste mechanisms, the satiation mechanisms, and, and just just do do have its way with us.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. You know, the third section of the book basically lays out the how to do it, and I lay out my principles of metabolic health, and the first principle of metabolic. Health that I lay out is that you need to think of your health as a system Mm. uh, and not as a goal. And, you know, we oftentimes get focused on these short term goals and we lose the big picture. Mm. And that's exactly, you know, what you were talking about. If people just start thinking about what they eat, most of them are going to get to a better place. Yeah, You know, there are lots of different ways to do this, and that's kind of what I go through in the third section of the book. I go through a lot of the popular ways of eating. Um, I talk about everything from vegan to carnivore uh, and lots of things in between, and we talk about what is metabolically healthy about each one and what may not be metabolically healthy about each one. And they all have their, you know, their their pitfalls and they all have their benefits and ultimately i want people to start thinking about what they eat and then figure out which one is the right plan for them and as long as you're focused on your metabolic health as long as you're paying attention to some of those metrics that we talked about uh and using that to guide you as to whether or not you're on the right pathway yeah uh then you know, it really doesn't matter to me which one of the particular plans you end up on. Uh, Well, well, let me ask this.
0: When you meet uh, as a practitioner with a patient, do you have sort of ways of assessing what's likely to be a successful diet for a given individual?
1: Um, You know, we don't have any exact tools. It really comes down to just talking to them and what do you like to eat and, you know, what are, you know, what kind of appeals to you. Most people honestly, I start with a, uh, you know, animal protein, heavy, low carbohydrate approach. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be quite a pure carnivore diet. Uh, but if you start by eating lots of protein, uh, that's going to keep you full. That's going to make you hungry less often. Mm -hmm. That's going to give you the materials, the building blocks you need to build and maintain muscle. Like we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then you can kind of pick, you know, what maybe goes with it, you know, how much carb, how much fat, uh, that's going to depend a lot on your situation and, you know, what, what your goals are and where you're starting from. Uh, but I think if we center this around protein and particularly animal protein, which is really the food that we evolved eating, that's going to get us, you know, a long way,
0: uh, towards our goals. Do do you do any more formal uh, lipid uh, evaluation than, than what we've talked about so far? Uh,
1: yeah, so I end up doing a lot of the advanced lipid testing, you okay. know, looking at particle size distributions, and um, I end up doing that for a couple of interesting reasons, you know. So a lot of people who come to me already have heart disease, mm. and we want to get into, you know, why they have it. But I also have a fair number of people who have adopted low carbohydrate diets. They've made the changes and their lipids move in a direction that most physicians tell them are problematic. Oh. And yeah. And we know that that might not be the case. Uh, And so we end up doing some advanced testing to help get more insight.
0: That makes sense because just the measuring LDL, HDL, triglycerides won't sort sort out that group that is just fine.
1: Exactly. Oh, you that's know? interesting. And yeah. So, you know, we've been told uh, that, you know, all LDL cholesterol is is bad. You know, it's nicknamed bad cholesterol. Uh, but the reality is, is that that's not true. You know, there's a LDL, as we typically measure it, LDL-C, is a family of particles and some of them are bad, but some of them are not bad. Right. Uh, And so if you're walking around with a whole lot of LDL cholesterol, that's mostly the not bad, the larger particles, uh, then that's probably not a situation that's going to lead to you having heart disease. And there's actually a fair amount of data to suggest that that might be protective. That might lead to you living longer because LDL cholesterol isn't only about heart disease. Cholesterol plays a role in our immune system. Cholesterol is the precursor for many of the essential hormones in our bodies. Yep. Yep. Our brain is made of and needs a whole lot of cholesterol. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, that's a situation that I deal with a lot now as well. And helping people to figure out, you know, is their high cholesterol a problem or not? Uh, we get into some of the advanced testing.
0: Globally, humans are facing massive problems that are widely ignored by governments and the media. Like personal space invaders. I've had it with these couples that sit on the same side of the booth. Yak mouths. Stupid stick figure bumper stickers. Almond milk. You cannot milk an almond. Hi, I'm Jennifer. And I'm Angie. We call her Pumps, and we're the hosts of I've Had It. Pumps, tell the listener where they can find us. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nailed it. See mm-hmm. you next Tuesday. You live in the weeds of some of these, um, phenomena and I'm, I, yeah. I'm, I'm just, I have a question I've never had a chance to ask anybody about. So, so in my family, a, a large component of the vascular vasculopathy, the, the lipid associated, the inflammatory associated vasculopathy, let's call it that was large vessel aorta with thromboembolic disease. Mm-hmm. Are there particular profiles that are prone to that?
1: Yeah, so, you know, we probably need to be looking more at some of, like, the blood clotting factors uh, and what role they play in this. We need to be looking at things like calcium uh, uh, homeostasis uh, and things like vitamin K2 and what role that plays in this. Uh you know, too
0: low or too high, K2? Uh
1: too low a K2 is going to lead more calcium to come out of your bones yeah. and end up in your blood vessels where yeah, you don't yeah. want it.
0: Right. Uh,
1: so you want more K2. Again, K2 is only found in animal products, uh, in animal, you know, uh, proteins. So that's another reason that I think that uh, that is an essential part of the human diet. Uh, but yeah, those are some of the things we want to look at. Um, there's, you know, and and we can get pretty deep in the weeds. We can talk about something like lipoprotein, a LP little a, as it's called, uh, this is a, uh, kind of modified LDL cholesterol particle, um, that seems to predispose to, uh, heart disease in general, uh, but also getting back to our earlier discussion predisposes people to problems with their aortic valves and calcification of their aortic valves and probably calcification of the large blood vessels in general. Uh, so that's something that I would probably look at with a
0: family. I, 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 and I've been of the have. opinion that LP little a is very much insulin dependent physiology.
1: I agree. Um, you know, the we know we have the studies to show that LP little a only seems to be problematic when combined with inflammation, right uh, so you know again, I, that's my
0: figure I have. I figure I had that. that that's probably what I've been dealing with and it it I yeah. think it responds back again to the low carbohydrate it just responds so well to that and staying lean that's important. Um, I, I take me through the carbohydrate story as much as you can we've been we've been talking all around it. So you got to it yourself personally. I mean, I mean flush that story out for me if you can.
1: Yeah. So, you know, for me personally, it started uh, with Gary Taubes. Uh, I happened to hear him deliver a talk at a medical conference. And, you know, it was the first time I heard really about low carb, about sugar uh, being particularly uh, harmful. You know, we, we all know this? that. Sugar-
0: How long ago is this?
1: Uh, so this was now uh, going on uh, eight years ago. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just glad that- to
0: know that it was happening eight years ago because 12 years ago it was not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, no, and- it's starting to be part of the, the lexicon now, thank God.
1: Yeah. And it's pretty interesting, you know, uh, I, because I've been trying to figure out how Gary got invited to talk at that meeting. I mean, it was the Society of Thoracic Surgeons. It right. was a bunch of heart surgeons. Yeah. And somehow Gary was the invited uh, guest lecturer. Yeah. I've asked him about it. He doesn't quite remember. But anyway, you know, it was what it was. And, and I was sitting there as a morbidly obese, uh, you know, pre diabetic heart surgeon. And, uh, you know, it, caught my attention. And I read Gary's books and I immediately cut out sugar uh, and then, you know, carbohydrates in general. So when we look at carbohydrates, you know, there's always this debate. It's all carbohydrates bad. Uh, is it only the processed carbohydrates? Is it only when you combine carbohydrates with things like vegetable and seed oils? Um, And really what I've come to and what I, you know, really tried to get across in the book ultimately is processed food in all its forms is problematic. And whether it's the carbohydrate part of the processed food or it's the vegetable and seed oil part of the processed food, uh, you know, it, it really doesn't matter. If you eliminate processed food and you get back to eating whole real food, you're going to vastly improve your health. Uh, And so that's really what it comes down to for me. Uh, And that's the simple kind of framework that I tried to get patients to work within, uh, is let's just start eating whole real food again. And then we can kind of get into the weeds.
0: And and dietitians have been saying things like this for 20 or 30 years, maybe not motivated by the same understanding of the physiology, but they've been, I, I remember dietitians back in the late nineties, just talking about eating real food.
1: Yeah. But the only problem is that, you know, when you look at the U S dietary guidelines, they are pushing processed food. You know, bread is a processed food. Uh, Pasta is a processed food. Interesting. Uh, The, the, the fats that they recommend consuming are all processed fats, vegetable and seed oils. Yeah. You know, this is what's in the guidelines and, you know, so, the dietitians will, you know, kind of, they end up sort of contradicting themselves because they'll you're say right. eat That's
0: whole true. And, and, so, and then they'll so, tell you. To- so we yeah. would say that it's healthier to stay, stay towards tallow or butter. That's sort of your zone. As close as you stay to that, the better you're going to be. The further you can from margarine and seed and uh, polyunsaturated fats, the, the, and, especially not heated polyunsaturated fats. They're carcinogenic uh, and inflammatory. Mm -hmm. And they're inflammatory either way. It's crazy that we recommend this stuff. It's so nutty to me. Uh, And then I've always, I don't know. uh, Well, you're kind of making the case for me. I, I have always felt that starch may be a little worse than sugars. Uh, is that true? Is that something you have evidence of? It's just, that's been a personal thing I've noticed. I just, I, cause I have a, I also have sort of carb addiction, you know, and I notice it gets heated up by breads and cakes and things like that. And, you know, fruits, simple sugars, not, not so much. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So I'm right there with you. You know, I, uh, suffer the same carb addiction, uh, you know, an interesting sort of my experience, um, when i was eating very low carbohydrate uh you know kind of classical keto diet you know is how most people would refer to it these days you mm-hmm. know i had lost a bunch of weight i was feeling much better but i still had some persistent inflammation uh for me it was most noticeable you know i had plantar fasciitis that i could not get rid of i did all the stuff uh i went carnivore <laughs> i eliminated all of the other stuff and just went on a carnivore diet and my third day on the carnivore diet for the first time in probably five years, I got out of bed, I put my foot down and it didn't hurt and the inflammation went away. And early on, when I would go back to eating some of that stuff, I would feel it in my foot. Uh, So, you know, that's just a personal anecdote, but I've seen so many people experience the same thing at this point that I think there's something very real to this. And I think oh, you're right, you know uh fruits are you know simple sugars like honey, probably less damaging than these you know starches and processed carbohydrates are uh, yeah. but you know again, it depends on where you're starting from if you are metabolically unhealthy, fruit honey, sugar in all of its forms is going to be a problem for you.
0: What made you go straight to carnivore just out of curiosity? Because I I did the same thing. I'm just curious what your motivation was.
1: Yeah, well, it wasn't straight to it was that evolution. Um, But, you know, I basically heard about it. And, you know, at first I said, well, that sounds kind of crazy. Yeah, (laughs) but then I, I said, I said, you know what? It's mostly what I'm doing. You know, I was eating at that point, 10 or 20 grams of carbs a day, mostly from vegetables. And I said, you know, are these vegetables really necessary? Again, this is one of the things we've heard. We've always been told, you got to eat your vegetables. You got to eat your vegetables. But when you really look at it, there is nothing unique in vegetables that we can't get from plant products. Uh,
0: From animal products.
1: products. Yeah, from animal products. You know, yeah. the, the cow already ate the plant for you. Yeah, did a no, much I, better job of I, digesting I, I it. Saw than a we cartoon
0: do. once that said, uh, "You know, we've 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 developed this extraordinarily new, miraculous chemical transformation where we can take ordinary grass and convert it into high quality protein. We have that. Yep, exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly. So. Exactly. so you know, I said, let me give it a try. And, um, you know, after 30 days, I felt great. After 60 days, I felt better. And, you know, here I am now four years uh that I've been mostly carnivore. Yeah. And again, I think it has some very unique benefits. Uh, yeah. Do, yeah. Does everyone need to be 100% carnivore to achieve optimal health? No, you don't. Uh, but it's an option. It's a framework we can, you know, base off of. Yeah. And I think again, it seems to be the diet that we evolved on as human beings—a mostly carnivorous diet. So it makes sense that that's what our body is going to function best on.
0: Yeah, I um I heard Jordan Peterson talking about it. Then I interviewed Sean mm-hmm. Baker, who's an ortho yep. performance athlete yep. who's been doing it for quite some time, and I just thought you know, I thought, all right, I, I can do that. It's so simple. You know, I, I didn't, I don't like measuring and this and that. I, I just don't like it. I don't have the I, I'm conscious, but I can't be, I can't spend the time. I figure I could just, I can do the carnivore thing. And it was great. It felt great. Better immediately. Slept better immediately. I I've noticed I'm probably four or five years in, I've had some palate fatigue in the last year or so, and I've liberalized a little bit, but as long as I kind of go back in that direction and I don't go nuts, it it doesn't really make that much difference.
1: Yeah. That's kind of been my experience as well. Um, You know, I, I I certainly uh, can tolerate some of the other stuff, but you know, ultimately it also comes down to, I enjoy eating meat. Um, It simplifies things. Like yep. you said, uh, yep. you know, you don't have to plan, you don't have to calculate, uh, yep. you know, there aren't fancy recipes and, and it, it's just a simple lifestyle. And, and you can, so and you can
0: go with. out to eat and manage that really easily. Right. Get yep. a hamburger, yep. get yeah, a exactly. steak, whatever, you know, it's just don't eat the bun, don't eat the whatever. It's just very yep. simple. So,
1: yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I'm hungry less often. So, you oh know, my if God. I'm in the over, yes, yeah, if I'm, I'm in the over hungry. all day, I am hungry, hungry, hungry all the time. When, yeah. when I was eating oh,
0: yeah. I mean, any you know reasonable amount of carbs, I'm hungry all the time. I mean, starches. Yeah. Starches are what really seems to accelerate my appetite. That's uh, again, and, I, I'm, and I'm indulging us in this conversation for our listeners, because I'm not saying that all of you are going to experience what you're experiencing, but many of you might, uh, and you're going to have some variation on this theme. And so it's, it's, it's important to get your own relationship with the diet and the food. But the fundamentals still hold, which is processed food, no bueno, plants uh, the seed oils no bueno, plants maybe not as much as we thought, muscle mass important, fat's not that big a deal as long as you're staying towards tallow and butter uh, and you can you can build a, a diet off of that that's healthy,
1: yeah, and you know again, you know, as a heart surgeon who, who uh, spent the first you know, three quarters of my career uh, believing and having, you know, been indoctrinated that red meat was bad for us and, you know, butter was bad for us and fat was bad for us. Eggs are bad. Uh, this is, yeah, it, it's pretty shocking to to really come to the realization that um, we should be doing the exact opposite of what we've been told for the past 40 years. Yeah. Uh, but when you really look at it objectively, that's the conclusion you come to. Because, again, when we look at our health and what has happened since, you know, 1980, when the first U.S. dietary guidelines were introduced, uh, it has gotten worse by every measure. Right, And so a logical person has to look at that and say, you know, maybe we should be doing the opposite. Maybe our underlying assumption was wrong.
0: And there are still people that uh, sort of... uh silo themselves in camps about diet that have a kind of a religious quality to it rather than a scientific quality and uh i i don't and again they're eating consciously their way i i'm probably better they're certainly not eating processed foods and it's it's better than that but it's it's not what you call healthy and uh and i don't know when we're all going to get a more deeper consensus about this material that's in your book, which is now pretty well established i mean these are not these are not outlying ideas; these are pretty much axiomatic uh based on good science, good understanding, and then now you have the clinical experience on top of that, so you're actually seeing it play out the application of these principles,
1: yeah, and you know I do think these ideas are becoming more commonplace. But realize that they're still the minority, you know every really? day when I'm in the minority, hospital, oh yeah, Ugh. the minority, you know when I am in the hospital every day uh when I see the food that my patients are being served, you know which is which is guided by the dietitians, uh when I talk to my colleagues uh you know in the heart disease space, uh I am still very much in the minority, uh but you know I do see it, uh, growing. Um, I go to the metabolic health meetings. Now I go to the, the low carb meetings, the metabolic health conferences, we see more and more doctors from more and more different specialties. Uh, because again, this, this isn't just about heart disease. Uh, this touches everything. This yes. touches diabetes, yes. this touches, are, are, you know, are you, uh,
0: are you getting uh, attacked or sidelined by some of your peers?
1: Um, I do. I, I catch some flack on social media. You know, I get called a quack every once in a while. And and at this point, you know, given the events of the past couple of years, that's sort of a badge of honor. because yeah. I think if doctors don't wake up to the fact uh, that we have been marginalized, uh, we're you know, we are headed down a bad pathway as the medical profession. Yeah, uh, because. You know if the government can start tell can start telling us what medications we can and can't prescribe uh if you know major decisions about people's health can now just bypass physicians completely yeah uh and put in the hands of you know uh, and this is no offense to pharmacists, but you know uh they they' they're not uh medical doctors uh and you know big decisions about people's health health were, you know, made by pharmacists over the past couple of years. And that I think is a major problem. And it's a related problem, quite honestly, uh, because I think our medical system is going to a place where um, groupthink is what is encouraged and thinking differently about some of these problems, looking at something like heart disease and saying, why do we have so many people that have heart disease and maybe cholesterol isn't the problem is very much discouraged these days.
0: Yeah. And maybe your next book is about the uh, evisceration of uh, this profession. And, uh, you know, and I I was telling somebody just today that, you know, after they were a colleague was mine was saying that they don't trust us anymore. If there's another serious, um, you know, emergency, who are they going to turn to? I go, we, 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 they're showing good judgment we earned this we we screw it. we earned this we let this happen we behave like children the whole time we it's time we regained what our proper function here the, the way you and i were trained and uh let's just do do the job that we're supposed to do the see and protect the patients period give them the best possible care and uh nobody else does that nobody else does that nobody else the believe me everybody else is sitting behind a uh uh, a, a code book uh, and a phone long, long way away, telling you how to take care of your patients. That is a catastrophe.
1: Yeah, very much so. And I think, uh, you know, again, physicians need to wake up and recognize what's been happening around yeah. us and what all this has been leading to. So
0: tell them where they get the book, what, what they're going to get from it. Give them a one last pitch here. And then who needs to actually call you or to make a telehealth visit with you?
1: Yeah, sure thing. So stay off my operating table. It's available everywhere, you know, Amazon and all the usual places. You can go to my website at ifixhearts.com. You can find out all the ways that I work with people. So I do have a telemedicine practice. I see people from across the U.S. now. Uh, And if you're concerned about your metabolic health or you don't know where you stand on your metabolic health, uh, you know, give me a call talk to my team let's figure it out because that's the first step in all of this and uh let's work on improving your metabolic health first and foremost and keep you off my operating table
0: yeah read read the book and then if you need more help reach out that's it and and you talk to your own doctors too for sure you can bring that material a good doctor will want you to bring this kind of material into the visit and ask questions so uh well well done congratulations i love the book and uh I look forward to seeing your progress in uh, solving this
1: major, major problem we have
0: with uh, what we are exposed to in this country.
1: Yeah, thank you, Drew. And uh, thank you for, you know, uh, giving us uh, a voice, you know, for bringing people on who, you know, think differently about health. Uh, I think I, I, it's, it's it's so
0: odd it. to me to, to hear you say it to frame it that way because it's becoming yeah. it's be, every every really good scientist I know every really good clinician I know that that understands this stuff and really takes a hard look at it we may not be in the exact same place but in the similar zone with all this it's not it's no longer any kind of uh, it's not an outlying position do you know Kate Shanahan too you familiar with her work oh
1: yeah. Yeah,
0: yep, Kate is a brilliant family practitioner, a biochemist, yep. and she says things like, you know, human nutrition is so complicated. There are very few things you can say much about, but things you can, but I can talk to you about seed oils. That I can tell you, is, that I can tell you for sure. That's not a good thing. And so, yep. and same thing with the carbohydrate story is, you know, we may not be able to talk about in detail about, you know, transportation of micronutrients or something, but we can we can take big swings at the plate about the kinds of nonsense, the direction we're going in terms of our nutrition in this country.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, very true. And uh, you know, our our mutual good friend Vinny Torterich, I think says it best. Uh, when he says, you know, if some idiot from the bayou can figure this out, why can't all these doctors figure it out? Yeah. yeah. Uh he's really on to something there. So
0: so he has a documentary called Fat. He has he's famous for uh coining the no no starch no no uh nsng no starch no what's the g
1: no sugar no, no grains
0: su- no sugar no grain that's what it's no sugar no grains and uh emphasis on the grains uh, and that's uh you know that's a pretty e- it's, it's such an easy thing to to uh actualize and so do do shout out to vinnie tortoise everybody if you want some ideas he's got lots of great ideas as well all right my friend well thank you for joining me and i uh, hope we'll stay in touch See what hit blockbusters are streaming free during popcorn summer movies on Pluto TV. Watch the first four Indiana Jones movies, Or Minari, and Maid of Honor. Plus, Pluto TV has
1: hundreds of channels with thousands more movies, available on live and on demand. Download Pluto TV on all your favorite devices for free. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never.